Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful to complete the work that you have begun in us. Every test, every trial, every difficulty, every good thing, you are with us. You are with us in this world to defeat your enemy through your faithfulness to us, your commitment to us, to raise us up, to uh, cause us to become uh, partakers with you in this revelation in this war, in this glorious victory. Father God, there are many, many out there who do not even believe such a thing. They don't believe you exist. They don't believe there's a purpose for the world. They don't believe anything except the reality that's in front of them. They have been reduced down to the just graphic meaning of life, the basics of eat, drink, and be merry, or struggle and die. So Lord, we ask you today to inspire your people who hear Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to know, to understand the treachery and the intensity and the um, importance, the critical importance of this battle, of knowing who you are and knowing what's going on here, Lord God, that people will not be caught off guard in these very critical days where a million pieces are moved into place every day for the final, for staging of the final battle. Lord God, that the signs are all around us. Lord God, may your heart and our hearts be open to your heart, Lord, as we seek you through this gospel of Mark. Lord God, again, may we speak as the oracles of God, and may you give us all wisdom. You said, if any man likes wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. You are our life. You are our preparation. You are our deliverance, our healer, our strong tower, our refuge, our joy. Everything that we need for life and godliness is in you. So Jesus, Son of God, come as our faithful witness. Encourage your people. Bring forth the remnant. Bring them back to life. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. 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 Hey. You know, in our world, there's a lot of treachery. It's I mean, all treachery, I mean, isn't it's it? It's pretty much all treachery. What is treachery? <laughs> treachery means to be deceiving, con- deceiving it, it, concealed. In other words, you, you want to... appears to be something it's not. You appear to be uh, friendly and kind and everything, but in your heart, you know, I think there's a proverb that says, you know, that they speak peacefully, mm-hmm. peaceably, but mm-hmm. murder is in their heart. And so this is what's going on, and this is yeah. Know, that's what we're going to see today in Judas. Yeah, you're going to find the, this. The people, various people in this gospel uh, section of Mark, who different kind of people. You've got the treacherous ones. You've got the devoted ones. It's a very interesting combination of people, actors on this last oh. act of the stage uh, in 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 the, the before uh, the Passover, cru- yeah. before the crucifixion. So mm-hmm. so let's look at these, and and we're in Mark chapter fourteen. It says, after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. So here's what we've got. We've got the Feast, the Passover, and the Feast of the Unleavened the Bread. The Passover, of course, was the time. You read about it in Exodus chapter 12, where God prepared them to... Be right. released from Egypt after 430 years. So this years. is the celebration of that. This is the celebration, Exodus. the commem- commem- commemoration, mm-hmm. if I can say it right, commemoration of the uh, Exodus, uh, God's mighty hand that brought them out mm-hmm. of the bondage a, of Egypt. A commemoration is like a remembrance, remembering, going back into the past and reliving sort of the events that first began this event, the original place and reason for the event. And notice how you you said that it it says the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So these two feasts were combined with one another, so to speak. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, wasn't that a seven-day Right, that was was right after the Passover. And sometimes it was, yeah, seven days. Well, wasn't it before the Passover? 
No, they took was, the bread out of the house, the old. Yeah, but it was bread. it was it followed the Passover. Oh. You had the night of uh, Passover. Okay. And oh yeah, that's right. Followed by seven the seven days of feast because, of unleavened because bread. Because when and, they left Egypt, they didn't have time to let their bread right. rise. Remember, and so they made flat bread that day because there was no yeast and no rising. They just no grabbed time their to kneading the bowls, rise. Mm-hmm. and so they just had flat bread for seven days. So that's why it's and and also leavened bread. Uh, is sometimes used as a symbol of sin. The, the, the leaven oh. goes in and, and sin and, and rises, permeates the br- the bread dough. So anyway, so this is so this is a seven day feast, but it begins with the. Uh, it's a seven day celebration that begins with the feast of the Passover. Passover, which is, and sometimes it, the Passover and the uh, the term Passover and a feast of unleavened bread were used. Right, simultaneously. And it's notice for most of us, we understand that this Last Supper, as we call it, um, was also the the Feast of the Passover, was celebrated on a Thursday evening, it appears. But the Thursday evening celebration was a pre-celebration. When people were going, it was like, you know, pre-voting. When people were going to be out of town, they could vote ahead of time. They could, they could eat this meal one night ahead if they couldn't be in where they needed to be on the day. So the actual day day of the Passover is Friday. It's the very day that Jesus died on. But so Jesus himself was taking the permission to celebrate the Passover with his disciples um, just previous to that, just the night before, which was permitted by Scripture to do because God knew that he was going to have to celebrate it the day, the night before, because on the day of Passover, he was dying on the cross. So God made this provision for one thing, for his son to be able to eat this meal with his disciples before he died. And we have to think of the setting of this. <clears throat> the, the setting of this is that there, there are approximately, historians tell us there are approximately 50,000 people that 50? lived in Jerusalem. Okay. 50,000 mm-hmm. people that lived in Jerusalem at this time. But at the time of the Passover, being, being there were pilgrims, right. Jewish pilgrims, or even Gentiles, who were attracted to the monotheism of, that means one God, mm-hmm. and, and the moral code uh, of the uh, Jews that would come from all over the world. So the population would swell to hundreds of thousands right. of people. Right. These are the people who had walked time. away, so to speak, walked away from paganism and had seen the value uh, and the uh, the moral um, uh, encouragement, rightness of walking with and knowing the one true God. And so they were with these people celebrating. Um, also, the Passover was, uh, like you said, there was a time of celebration. It was a time of, they were commanded, weren't they, to come to Jerusalem three different times a year? And wasn't one of them the Passover? Yes, yes. One of the, so it was kind of a mandatory, you've got to show up for this feast kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And so, but so it, it, there's there's this is this is a high point. I mean, this is just crowds of people rolling in. So, in, and, yeah. and uh, you know, in the midst of this, however, mm-hmm. the chief priests and the scribes. So those that were <laughs> under the religious the, the leaders, swamp, the swamp people, the ones who were to be the the priests who were to be. Uh, the leaders, promoters of the, goodness and uh, righteousness worship. and the law of God and truth and justice. Right. Those were the guys that were setting up this this snare, this plot, this trap um, to catch Jesus. Well, not just to catch him, but to kill him. Yeah, so, put him so to you death. have yeah. trickery. God's, the people uh, that were intended to be the spiritual leaders mm-hmm. in worship of the one true living God, plotting to kill the, the one true God, the, the, son, the, of the, the, the God. son of God. Now, and, and really, when you when you look at it, you know, just having a religion, even, you know, t- Paul wrote, warned Timothy, in the last days people would have a form of godliness, mm-hmm. but deny the power of it. There would be an outward uh, expression of religion. And just having religion going through the process, mm-hmm. even though it seems to be the right thing, like it was so seemed to be based on God's yeah. the law of Moses and so forth, but but it did not. Just religion does not change a person's heart. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can be just as ungodly and mm-hmm. treacherous as mm-hmm. can be, and some of the most religious people are the most ungodly people. Well, isn't it in the true world. that just the very the very same thing there that they were 
Uh, it was a, a high day, a holy day, a fun day, a feast day. Um, and in, in the midst of this apparent, you know, celebration under the undercurrent, the underlying um, workings of Satan were trickery, treachery to put Jesus to death. And it, this is nothing new. The, what happened then is still happening today. There's no. treachery, trickery. It, it, Satan makes things. He uses, takes advantage of something. We celebrate, for example, the 4th of July, and we're all gathering for some uh, meaningful, you know, excitement and fireworks and celebrations and declaring and praising our origins, blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, the enemy would set up at that point in time something treacherous to destroy, to kill, to trick, to assassinate, to... Um, but we pray against all of that. So, so the the high priests, the priests, and the chief priests, and the scribes, mm-hmm. they were like the lawyers. They were the ones to be ex- supposedly the experts in God's law. Mm-hmm. They're plotting, and they said, "Well, we want to do this. We want to wait for the right time. Right timing." So everything. they had a plan. Verse two, but they said, "Not during the feast. Let there be an lest there be an uproar among the people." So. Uh, they, they were aware they, that they, the people they, had a lot of loyalty right. to Jesus. Well, there was, and they didn't want to riot in the street. They didn't want things out of control because they had to keep them under control because the Roman guards and soldiers were prowling and watching, and and surveillance was heavy. And so there wasn't going to be a whole lot of uh, mercy if they started rioting in the streets. It, it was too. It, there's several things happening. You've got people coming from other parts of the world, Jews and these God fearing. Gentiles, then you had you had um, the people that were had decided to follow Jesus, were excited about Jesus. You know, there was the what the, the Palm Sunday as we first yeah, to, it was just you know, happened. Hosanna, yeah, just, just happened. Blessed be the, and so it looks like man, he's his. They feared his popularity. These Jewish leaders feared his popularity, yet. There was the tide was turning against Jesus, right? And the tide had been turning ever since he ministered uh, uh, that heavy word about "I am the the bread, eat the bread, drink the blood." They didn't get the symbolism, they didn't get the point, and so they thought, "What's going on? This is too weird." And so a lot of them walked away, and even his own disciples were in, very confused because some of them said, "No, no, no, you're not going to go to the cross, you're not going to die." And yet Jesus had told them very straightforwardly. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross in a couple of days. This is going to happen. And so there was a lot of mixed emotional stuff going on. This wasn't a, oh, yay, we're all in a good place here, and this is going to be a good day and a happy celebration. And, and in some places, um, Jesus even said, you know, as he, we read in other passages where he desired to eat this feast, drink this uh, cup with them, um, and yet it was a time of great sorrow, time of saying goodbye, so to speak. They really, this is where he really said goodbye. Um, even though he came back from the dead, he wasn't the same anymore. He wasn't a human human. He was a, 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 he, a, he was a, a spirit. He was returned in his spiritual body and they still recognized him, but it wasn't the same as hanging around with the guys and walking around in the daytime and camping at night. It was gone. That was done. This was goodbye. And and they didn't want it to be goodbye. They didn't really want it to be over. They didn't know where it was going to end or how it was going to end, but they didn't want this to be the ending of it. So then he says, um, and, it be, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster box or flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. So the first actor that appears in this drama is a very devout woman, Mary, um, uh, and Simon, Simon the leper, Simon's house. They were eating at Simon's house. Remember when Jesus told the disciples to get the donkey, go into, and he says, uh, and then he says, and then they had to find the house. And he says, go find the, the follow the guy who's got the pitcher, carrying a, a pitcher of water. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Here, and that's kind of, like you said, Jerry, it, it, we all, it's strange that, isn't it strange a man would be carrying a vessel of water? Right, usually? right. No, this, let's look back up just a little bit here. Simon the leper. He's in in Bethany, 
mm-hmm. which is just outside of the Mount of Olives, right close in right. that area, not, real close to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And um, Simon the leper, he's in the same town, the same village as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were, you know, sister, yeah. brother. They're probably friends for sure. Yeah, friends. And so Simon the leper apparently... Uh, he was known as, I believe, that he was a leper that, very likely he was a leper that was healed by Jesus. Healed by Jesus. Yeah. And so... Uh, Maybe he's the one who said, Lord, if you're willing, are you willing? Jesus, I'm willing. And immediately the leprosy left him. That could have been the guy. I mean, we don't know who the guy was, but he was the guy that was healed of leprosy. And maybe this was made him a devout follower of Jesus after that. Yeah, and it's interesting... Now, the way it puts it in John chapter 12, it's in six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, not everything in Mark is is in total... Right order. Uh, chronological order, mm-hmm. okay? So it says in six days, John 12, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead whom he raised from the dead. So Lazarus, a dead man was there, a leper was there, good testimonies were there. (laughs) A healed leper, a a, a former dead guy. And then you have, uh, they made him a supper and Martha served because she was the, she's the server. Mm -hmm. She's the one that really would would go. Pay attention to what needed to be done. Pay attention to what needed to be done. So, uh, and Mary, so we identify, Mark doesn't mention her by name, but here we see it in John. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. So this was this, the Mary, the sister of Martha, yes. who had done this. And, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mm-hmm. But one of the, his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, this is a different Simon, this is not Simon Peter, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii mm-hmm. and given to the poor? So he's raising and this, doubt and skepticism. Right, right. Mm-hmm. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. So this and was he used Judas, to take what was put in who it. was raising this question, making you know. The, here we have the conflict between the righteous, the woman Mary, who was willing to pour out, give up, you know, lots of money, uh, four months worth of wages to buy a box of. Um, essential oils, so to well, speak, it, yeah, to anoint the feet of Jesus. Fragrant oils, this alabaster box. I told us it was like a, a flask that was probably carved out of marble. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the flask itself was very expensive. And they said, uh, my research on that said that there was something. There was an oil that was this type of oil was found like in India. So it, I mean, it's from a source in India, which is a long ways away mm-hmm. from <laughs> Israel. Uh, Isn't but, that amazing? But, but anyway, very, very expensive. And in those days, mm-hmm. it was it was a custom to anoint your guests. You know, I mean, you could wash the feet of the guests because, mm-hmm. you know, everything mm-hmm. was dirty and sandals and no paved yeah. streets. Yeah. And wash the feet and put anointing oil on there. So this was this was a kind of a custom. But then they a saw, oh, man, this is some of like the most expensive well, it's kind stuff. Of interesting. That, that you'd get it in a in an exclusive right. perfume shop. Well, it's somewhere. kind of a repeat of when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That the uh, wise men came and brought myrrh, gold, gold, frankincense, frankincense, and myrrh. Another a couple of very costly, mm-hmm. you know, oils and and uh, to to anoint him. So he's been anointed at his birth, and here he's being anointed actually for the crucifixion. I believe he's being anointed. Well, Sometimes when people are commissioned, sent out. They're anointed for a job to do, uh, whether they're going off to a foreign country or whatever to preach. They're anointed to go. And so this anointing is kind of like a, a, a designating, like a, a authorizing. And I believe she was authorizing in, on behalf of the common people to, co- to pour out this, this very precious oil upon him. And she was doing this as an act of love. Um, that, you know, told Jesus, there are some of us who really do love you. And this is where true colors came out for Judas, too, because, I mean, up until this point, he was supposedly the one who was taking care of the poor, taking money out of the treasury to to take care of the poor. But who knows where that money really ended up? We don't know. But but now his true colors are coming because he's scolding this righteous woman who's doing this holy 
act of love, and Judas is provoked. The spirit in him is finding this offensive. And um, well, true when 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 true you, colors when you ex- get exposed to Jesus. Oh my goodness. True colors come out. Can I just say that the true colors are being exposed today, these days, and you know, your watch, your worship leaders, your um, ministers and pastors, your high icon uh, idols in the Christian church are exposing, being exposed. The judgment has begun at the house of God, and people in these high Christian profiles that are going to devil worshiping. Con, con, uh, concerts yes. where the, the musicians and the leaders and the singers are cannibals, then we have to wonder what's going on. I think the same thing is true of, of you know, the innocent, uh, the wonderful, holy people all around the world that are suffering, dying, losing their heads, being martyred for Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. while the fat cats, if you will, um, and that have been hidden and look and appear to be good uh, and kind and, and appear to be righteous are coming out of the woodwork for the for what they really are. And here's what Judas did. I mean, um, well, she was, she he was, was criticizing her. He was, yeah, was criticizing her. And and it says not that he cared for the poor. Yeah. But no, and, and then but, he but, got the others to criticize her sharply. Um, well, well, the thing is, too, it's not that Jesus is saying don't take care of the poor. Correct. But the, he the, did say the poor you'll always have with you, and isn't that the but truth? But if you have a devotion to Jesus, mm-hmm. you're going to be do what, doing what you can to Well, you know, can I tell you something very interesting about why there are so many poor people today? Back in the Old Testament, there was a law. There was a thing called the year of Jubilee. This is kind of off the mm-hmm. subject, but it's very interesting. And it's very, it works. In the law, in the year of Jubilee, which is every 50th year, every 49th year, in the 50th year, then they were supposed to give back, everybody was supposed to get back what was rightfully theirs, their inheritance, their land, their father's land, their great-grandfather, whatever, that had been lost in various poor dealings or uh, disasters or medical problems or, or crop failures stolen, or whatever. or stolen. cheated on Everybody it. Yeah. got back with that which was rightfully theirs uh, according to the original records. And so, therefore, every 50 years, the wealth got readjusted back to the roots, and, and everybody's debts were forgiven, basically. Everybody's debts were... What would happen in this society if every 50 years... All debts were forgiven. We go back to, to zero. We go back to uh, everybody's got their original wealth. And, and those there's nobody being stripped of their inheritances that goes on and on and creates in every generation becomes a, a greater financial disaster because they were not, they didn't receive their inheritance. Um, a lot of people say, well, I didn't get my inheritance or I don't have an inheritance. Well, that is a demonic um, uh, tragedy because... The inheritances were meant for to pass on to the sons, the children, not just the sons, but the daughters too, to ensure the stabilization of society, the family, the children, so that people could go on. Right now, we are at the, at the you know, we've rebelled and, and don't do this anymore. We, we insist that debts are debts and we die with our debts and they're inherited and all the lack and poverty continues on down the bloodline. And so we're just going to come to this place where there are there's a total caste society. People are totally victimized and destroyed because of lack of, of resources. But here, you know, and, and that's why there were a lot of poor, but the poor were going to be at some point in time taken care of by the very or, or, ordinances of God who said every 50 years, you put it all back, which we don't do today, of course. Well, today, today just to be very contemporary, we have uh, socialist, communistic, Ideas. Political leaders that say, "Hey, we oh, propose this is how we'll put it back. We'll take it away from everybody. We won't give it back to everybody. We'll take it from everybody. This is exact opposite. We'll take it. We will take it from other people. We'll take it from Wall Street. But the people are saying to pay off all the student debts and everything like that. But the people are saying, let's take it away from everybody. Are the ones usually who have the most money or have made the most money out of the tragedies. But anyway, back to the story. So we see that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, But Jesus said. This He stood up for Mary. He said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has, done, she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do something good for them. But me, you do not, do not always have always with you. She has done this what she could. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. How gross, unhappy. Ooh. The body, anointing the body. She's anointing the body with sparkling oil for, for, for burial. 
Assuredly, I say to you, whatever this, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. Well, Jesus, so, Jesus defended her, like you said. He said, let her alone. Mm-hmm. Don't trouble her. She's doing what she's supposed she's to do. She's anointed she's, she's to do this. She's done a good, this is a good work. This is not something to be criticized. This is she's not doing this for attention. This is <laughs> something to be uh, memorialized, to, to speak, her in, her speak intentions, of it wherever the world, wherever the gospel is preached. Yeah, her intentions were pure. Talk about what she had done. But I like the, that first uh, phrase in chat, verse 8, she has done what she could. Yeah, you know, and that's all God expects of any of us yeah. is to, you know, what what, he, what yeah. is He t- speaking to us to do, yeah. and doing what we can. It may be so small or seem like it's it's wor- it's not going to do anything. It's not going to stop anything. It's not going to change anything. It's but but in in God's economy, in God's way of looking at this thing was a big thing. This was actually because the world was about to reject Jesus Christ through the Romans, through the Jewish leaders. They were about to absolutely cast out God's solution for redemption by saying, "We do not want this this Son of God, this Lamb of God, this to sin to die for our sins. We do not agree. We do not want it. It is not the solution. We will not accept it." And yet God had people on the other side of that stage is that, yes, we do. We want Jesus. We accept him. And if he would have died even only for one person, it would have been worth it. But it's many more than one person, obviously. But Mary was saying, yes, it is worth it. Yes, we do want Jesus. Yes, we do believe. So there were believers and unbelievers in that at that uh, meal. And the anointing was, and I don't know if she realized what she was doing. She was doing a, just an act of devotion where it was like, you know, a custom, yes, to if you were a welcoming host or hostess, to to bring that anointing, to put that oil there uh, on the on the person, on the feet or whatever. But she anointed him. Yeah, and she wasn't doing something strange or out of custom. It no, wasn't something... it, it was not out of custom at all. But, it was actually out but, of a courtesy. Yeah, courtesy and devotion. But, you know, usually in those days, what they didn't have embalming of dead bodies in those days, not not in, you know, in Israel. But what they would do is they would pour oils, uh, spices, per- that sort of thing on the body yeah. after they were dead. Here she's putting it on. on Jesus before he dies. But if we go back to verse 4 for just a second, we notice that in this room, in this feasting room, in this room of celebration, in this in the Passover, in this goodbye supper, that it says there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? There were some who had gotten into the celebration. I think Jude says there are blots in your feasts. They had got in there, Judas being one of them, and some others, not just Judas. Obviously, there were some others who were uh, standing up with him, uh, criticizing and, and setting Jesus up. So somehow the enemy had sent in its undercover agents to uh, plot, to uh, manipulate, to uh, these agents of darkness were there to do what they could to create well, difficulty and a we, ruckus. We know that there was one, uh, at least one agent of darkness that was right among the but twelve. But there was, there were some, yes, and of course, and and isn't that interesting that even in the midst, Jesus of his own men that he picked, and he knew, I believe, he knew who oh, he sure. picked in the beginning. He knew that there was this Judas. He said, "One of them, one of, have I not chosen you all, and one of you is a devil." Mm-hmm. Yeah, says in the King James. Yeah. So uh, and, craziness, isn't it? How yeah. that. Uh, this can be so close, the, the evil can be so close to the truth, so close to the uh, the working. Of, this, so don't think that we're beyond any kind of um, uh, betrayal or people in the midst of us being true colors coming out. Don't be shocked. There's no shock with Jesus. He knew what it was going to be. Well, look, let's look at verse 10 there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were glad, mm-hmm. happy, and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So they were thinking, okay, we want to kill Jesus, but we we need to wait till after the Passover because there's too many people in town. It could create a riot. We don't want to do this. But then Judas comes to him, and they see their original plan changed. 
And so they thought, here is an opportunity now. Here's the opportunity. There's the window that we've been looking for because Jesus went right there. I I don't know. They were going to take him by trickery. Remember, they brought all, you know, and later on in his trial, they brought all these false witnesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. None of them uh, agreed. Mm -hmm. I mean, Satan, of course, is known as the accuser of the brethren. He's All these false accusations yeah. against Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's a whole litany of them before, you know, before the crucifixion, during his ministry on earth, mm-hmm. accusation after accusation after mm-hmm. accusation coming to him. But then they think this is perfect because we got one of his own guys yeah, yeah. coming to us, one of the inner circle. We can work. We can yeah. get this get this job done mm-hmm. right through easy easy uh, their own guys right through one of his own yeah men. cut through all the red tape yeah it's well, like wow how how perfect they're thinking mm-hmm. it, it's, it's if you go to John the Gospel Mark really abbreviates this much he skips the he whole, abbreviates everything he, he doesn't like writing much no, anyway he's, so he goes to verse ten right with Judas Judas um, left basically. Uh, he went until he went to get this deal done. Well, he had this is a kind of a recounting what had happened. Judas, one of the twelve, had went to the chief priest to betray him, and so when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he's giving you a little quick behind the scenes. Yeah, they, yeah um, right. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him, and he and he figured this Passover thing would be the easy way to go. Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah and uh, Matthew twenty six fourteen. Through, well, let's look at 14 and 15. Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest, verse 15, and said, What are you willing to give me? Mm-hmm. What's in it for me? How much can uh, what, I make? What's, off this what's deal? you know, he, he says, I've got a price. Will you meet my demand? And they counted to him, out to him, 30 pieces of silver. Now, 30 pieces of silver would be about, about four months of wages in for a laboring man mm-hmm. in those days. So f- four months of wages. That's all he was, but there's a prophecy. Isn't there a, a word in Isaiah or something that he was, this, yep. there would be 30 pieces of silver. Yep. Um, so everything is, are, you know, the specifics of all is, of these is coming things. to pass. And the, it's the devil is plotting all this stuff, but, but God's plan is being unfolded. The coincidental, perfectly. the, the uh, um, odds of these things happening with all of these coincidences uh, no such thing as yeah, well, the odds are numerically, mathematically impossible. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but but if you go back to looking at um, John again, th- this whole supper took a long time. There was a lot of stuff Jesus taught. He taught three chapters out of John, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and even seventeen. Um, four chapters of teaching during this supper. So it wasn't like this was a quick you know, meal and we're going to get her done. But in the process, we have the kind of the order of events. Um, Jesus, he washed their feet too. That came at, you know, as part of that mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, yep. He says, I've come as a light into the world. And then now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world. This is John thirteen one, uh, and go to the father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come in from God and was going back to God, rose from the table, rose from supper, and laid his garments aside and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel from which he was girded. Then he when and then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, "Lord, are you washing my feet?" And then Jesus answered and said to him, "What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this." Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." Lord answered, Jesus answered him, "If I do not wash you, you have no part with me." Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, do not wash my feet only, but also my hands and my head." And Jesus said to him. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed the, their feet, he t- 
taken his garment and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? And that you have called me teacher and Lord, and you, sh- and, and, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent him. And then he goes into a whole lot of teaching. Um, So as he uh, is teaching them, uh, he says, I'm telling you beforehand that when it comes to pass, you may believe it. Most assuredly, I say to you, he receives whoever I send receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And, and yeah, this whole teaching, you know, he identifies Judas as his betrayer and, and, it, and it explains more about that there in John 13. Mm-hmm. talks about the new commandment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give you John 13, 34 and 35. But backing up just a little bit here, as we see the progression in 13 of John, he's talking about the betrayer. I think according to Matt, to Mark, Judas has already left the room, but but he but he hadn't yet. Be, 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 this all happens before he leaves the room because Peter's they're trying to figure out who is this guy that's going to betray. Which one of us is it? They're all intrigued. They're all mm-hmm. distracted by figuring out who this person is. And isn't it isn't it kind of amazing that they're absolutely totally don't have a clue? I mean, mm-hmm. they they don't, that Judas has done such a good job of being one of the gang. One of the guys. That they had not even... Well, they were so naive, they hadn't suspected any diabolical plot this deep. They were just really naive the whole way along. They didn't realize Satan was really so out to get Jesus. I really think that they just were all taken up with the miracles and the fun stuff and the people getting healed and the people following him and, and the, the multiplying of the miracles. And they were just really taken up with the with the whole wow thing that they didn't realize that beneath all of this there was a huge wave of treachery building that they were just children they were they're playing at the hole uh, the of the den of this of the rattlesnakes and they they didn't realize that they were even in danger so you know we read in in john 13 there about Jews, judas mm-hmm. He said, you know, who is it? He says, the one who I give you the piece of well, bread. Well, this says here in 22, the disciples looked at one another perplexed about what he had spoken. He says, one of you will betray me. Then we see what happens. So, so Jesus is sitting there, and the, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And we would assume that was John. That was the apostle John. Who's and writing Simon this. Peter therefore motioned to him. He said, ask him, who are you talking about here? So he, who is so, it? Who it's is like... It? Peter, Peter said, John, you ask him. He likes you better than me. John, he always gives you what you ask for. John, you know, go to mom for me and see if I can get what I want. You know, go to dad for me. And so I think that was how Peter was using then, little then John Then back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And they're, they're asking this question. You know, Lord, is it me? Is it Kind is of it a I? whispering. Lord, is it I? Is it me? Who, who is, it? is it me? Could, could it be me, Lord? Is there something I think going all on the chatter had stopped. All the eating had stopped. All the people were w- w- just tuned in right here. Well, when Jesus said, one of you will mm-hmm. betray me, and you read that in the gospel accounts. Then in 26, Jesus says, I'll, I'll clear this all up for you. So he said, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. So they would dip the bread in like a gravy sauce or something. I don't know, some sort of juice or aju or whatever. And so he dipped this bread, and and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now that is an absolute, this is who it is. He didn't name the name, but he actually declared who it was by. Um, and there was there was shock. Mm-hmm. There was shock mm-hmm. when when Jesus announced that one of, one of them would betray him, and then there was the realizing, Judas? And then he yeah. takes off. Yeah, well, it says, now after the piece of bread... After Simon took the piece of bread, I'm sure. Simon, uh, Judas. Judas did. Son of Simon. Son of Simon, yeah. And lots of Simons here. Uh, now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. In other words, um, Satan entered him. Uh, what had been maybe just a kind of a half deal with Satan became cinched and clinched at that moment. Satan took over. Took over took over Judas was now in, in in under the control of Satan he was you know he had played around with the idea of betraying Jesus he had 
kind of went over to the high priest and saw how much they'd give him. Um, he probably had even gotten the money, obviously. And, um, <clears throat> or maybe he hadn't, maybe he went to pick it up. What he said, do do quickly. Maybe he went to pick up the money. Well, he went to, to connect with the guys and arrange mm-hmm. for the plot. And Jesus knew it. He said, what do you do? Do quickly. But no one, verse 28 of John 13, no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. Mm-hmm. Some thought because Judas had the money box and that Jesus had said to him, go buy those things we need for the feast or that he should go give something to the poor. See, they just could not accept what Jesus had just done. He had just said, the guy I'm going to pass this bread to. Maybe they didn't all hear that. Maybe only John and Peter heard that. I don't know. But, you know, some they, they knew it. For sure two of them knew it because they were the two that were asking Jesus. The others might have been at the end of the table, didn't hear exactly what had been said. I don't know. Maybe he whispered it to John, and and so, but the, but he wanted them to know, he wanted them to know that he knew who it was, and so that when this discussion came up again after Jesus was gone, James and I mean, John, I'm sorry, John and, and Peter would say, yeah, this is the guy, this is what he said, and this is what he did. But you still have some who are kind of obviously confused, perplexed. Why is Judas rushing out? So does he got a stomach ache? Does he have to go to the bathroom? Where is he? Do what you do. Do quickly. Um, what? What, what, was Je- what was Jesus sending Judas out to do? It made it look like Jesus was giving Judas something to do when, in fact, Judas was needing a good moment to run away. And Jesus gave him that opening. You know, do it, go. You go, can go. Go do what you're going to do, you know. And, uh, you know, Satan has uh, an assumption. He operates on an assumption that everyone who is following Jesus has a price mm-hmm. of betrayal. Yep, can be bought off for a price. Jesus said, you know, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Take up his cross and follow me. It, says, it talks about... What will a man give in exchange, give in exchange for, for his, his soul? soul. You what know, will you give? What, what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole oh, world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange what for his soul? What does that mean to lose your soul, though? I mean, seriously, uh, we're talking eternity here. We're talking not just a hard life. A lot of people down here have a hard life. Uh, the rich man in Lazarus, well, Lazarus had a poor, hard life, very hard, very extremely unfair, dogs licking his sores, not enough to eat, humiliated, mm-hmm. laying out in the street, um, not too many to pity him, eventually died, and de- death actually became a gift a to him. For him. Yeah. So the thing is that um, what is losing your soul? We don't realize. I think this generation, it's been dumbed down, really dumbed down, because we don't realize there is a, there is, are two destinations, heaven and hell, and, there is, and hell is real, and hell is forever, and hell is where their worm dies not. They burn constantly. They're in pain constantly. The fire is not quenched. People are, there's no, Tormented there's no out of it. There's no letting, you can't yeah. imagine the most horrible, panicky, terrifying uh, feeling. I think only maybe people who have been burned in fires, um, in their many, much percentage of their bodies been burned. Maybe they would, um, be able to relate a little bit. But the thing is that they too are hoping to be relieved. They're hoping that there's a day coming when their skin will be grafted and they will be back, you know, doing something. Their life will come somewhat back to normal. But when you die and your soul is lost, you will never go back to any normal. Normal from that point on is is nothing but pain and torment. And these English words do not define the, the, the terror, the lostness of it. We have been listening to a couple of videos of various people who have experienced hell. The Lord has allowed them to go there to visit, to see what's going on. And, and these visions and revelations have been given over the ma- many decades, actually, even back as far ago as uh, 1976, when, uh, what was her name? Uh, some Is it Baxter? Baxter, yeah. Mary, Mary Baxter, Baxter wrote mm-hmm. My Vision of Hell or something like that. Um, it, it, people do not, this is, this is something I've been thinking about lately, and we just, I just heard another one. Um, this man who had just gotten, um, wow, saved, totally delivered from a, he was a transgender, um, and his life was obviously what it was in, in some sort of uh, deception and shambles and sexual perversions and um, whatever all that was. But he got absolutely transformed by the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
somehow the Spirit of God got to him, opened his eyes, and he saw what was um, the diff- he saw what was going on. Like these guys are perplexed. They're per- everybody's perplexed. They don't want to admit to. They don't want to acknowledge. They don't want to. They can't deal with the critical terror of heaven and hell. Um, and so they just avoid it, deny it, don't want to talk about death, don't want to deal with it. When you die, when you're dead, you go into the ground. Oh yeah, well, how did uh, that makes you no different than a, an animal that dies and goes into the ground? I mean, we're different. Animals don't have the same kind of cognitions and and destinies and thoughts as we. I'm not saying the creation isn't made by God. I'm not saying they're not loved by God. I'm not saying they don't groan and travail with us. I'm not saying they're not with us. They're actually little gifts given to us by God to help us in this very horrible place, like the birds singing beautifully in the morning and things like that. Some of you don't hear the birds anymore because you live in a big city. You probably should get out of the city and go listen, get out where you can hear the birds. But anyway, so the, the treasure, this man, though, he got saved and he had many friends who were still in the gay, homosexual, trans- transgender lifestyles. And he began to speak very, uh, because what had happened when he got saved, he saw hell. He went to hell. I don't know if that was part of his conversion or not, but he went there and God showed him hell. And he began with a vehement passion to talk to his friends, uh, get them to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And what had happened then, one of those friends, uh, this this man who just had gotten saved, Pressure, pray, uh, uh, pled with him to get right with God, and the man died. Um, and then this man who got saved, he asked the Lord, where did my friend go? And God showed him that he had went to hell. And there, it's very clear in the Bible, and people don't want to talk about this, that, n- that there's certain classes of people that don't get to go to heaven. And one of them is the, the homosexuals. And this is not please. Before you freak out, your being is not your behavior. You are not what you do, but you, but you, if you define yourself by what you do and you don't stop doing it, the devil will use that as the definition of you. And you'll say, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. You took my words, my counsel, my advice. And so people who are behaving under the counsel, these very perverted spirits of perversion, sexual abuse, incest, sexual uh, per, uh, 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 perversions of every kind um, that warp into uh, identity confusions and gender identity confusions and things like that. It is to strip you of your identity and your, your son-daughtership. You're with God. We're made by God, made in the image of God to be holy. And this stuff is not holy. So you get into it and you begin to believe this is who I am. I'm too bad, too unclean. I'm too ashamed. Then you put pride on top of it and say, there's nothing wrong with me and you better accept who I am. Because God made me this way. But that's not the truth. If you go back to Genesis, he made them Adam and Eve, male and female. He said that several times so there would be no no um, confusion. Mm-hmm. However, Satan has crossed all the lines, crossed the kinds, um, div- dissolved all the lines. And so we're saying to those kind of the, the people who are caught in these, you know what? There's many sins, many types of people, people who are cowards, people who are afraid, people who deny God. There are many people who are uh, in those categories where Satan is going to say, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine. You don't have to stay in that category. You, just because that's what you're doing, that doesn't mean that's who you are. That could very well be what Paul says in Romans 7.20. I am doing the things I do not want to do. It is the sin that dwells in me. So there's a spirit of a body of death, a demonic spirit, a spirit of sexual lust, perversion, that is doing those things in you, addiction, that is causing you to do the things you hate. And you become, you, you start to hate yourself because you can't quit doing those things. But those things are not you. And the only way you can get free from them is not more treatment and programs, but repentance, confession, and deliverance from, by God. Deliverance from these demons. Revelation chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But here's the list of those that are going to be in the lake of fire. But the cowardly. That's the fearful. The unbelieving. The abominable. Detestable. uh, Murderers. Sexually immoral. Sorcerers. Idolaters. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, Jesus 
Jesus told us about in the in the Sermon on the Mount, those things that sexual immoral sexual immorality is not just you know going and doing the deed physically. Mm-hmm. It can in your mind, in your thoughts. Well, see, it's the, the same. So what he was da- doing there is, you know, even who you looks at a woman to lust after is committed yes. adultery with her. He was trying to tell us, telling us that the law is impossible to keep because Satan is going to put these perverted thoughts in your mind. You're going to think they're yours, and then you've committed the sin. So what has to happen is we have to be transformed. The the spirit of God, His Holy Spirit, has to write these laws not on the tablets and the table of stone, but in our very hearts. And so Paul says. Now, that was John in Revelations, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse 9, um, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So he's saying, you were that, but the only thing that can set you free from that is to be washed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come out of them, Come, touch not the unclean, submit to God, declare, I need a Savior, I am lost. And these behaviors that I hate, I'm being bound to do, and I don't want to do them, and I don't want to go to hell because I am bound to do something I hate. So simply getting honest with yourself and saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. Deliver me from this spirit of lust or extortion or lies, deception, sodomy. These things are not part of the original creation of you. You are a child of the Most High God, made in the image of God. So these things are add-ons and cling-ons that Satan has slapped on your life, slapped into your mind and heart, got you to believe, got you to embrace, I am this, I am that, because you see yourself doing this and that. And so you define yourself by what you do, which is not the way the Lord defines you. He defines you by who you are. But, however, if, as we see with Judas, you continue to go on, Judas was called to be an apostle, uh, uh, one of the inner circle, one of the elite members of the of the Jesus's uh, squad, you know, mm-hmm. and and he was called to be that. He had the he had authority. He had been given the authority, the permission, the call, invitation. He accepted it. He was in with Jesus and his gang, the best of all. I mean, the twelve disciples, apostles, and yet. He opted out of that somehow through, I don't know, through a a crack in the wall, through greed, through covetousness, through maybe his ideas of what this thing should look like didn't match Jesus's. He had his own ideas. Somehow he had been persuaded by the devil to believe that his idea and what what he was getting was better than God's plan. And and so many with us who were deceived into thinking our ideas are better than God's plan for our life. And it's interesting, too, that this betrayal took place at this Passover meal uh-huh. and where Jesus was actually, you know, instituting, transitioning uh-huh. from the Passover to the new covenant, yep. to the Lord's Supper. The Lord, yep. But in, in that culture, when you sat down with somebody at a, at a meal, mm-hmm. the act of you eating with someone like that. Was entering that, into covenant with you, them. In a sense, in- you, what by eating together, you would say, you are my friend and I will never hurt you. Well, that was the thinking. Okay. If I can eat with them, if, if, right. if they will eat with me, then they're not going to betray they're my, me. They're my, my, they're my friend, and they won't hurt me. But what does Jesus do? What does Judas do in the midst of this? That's where the betrayal is. The mm-hmm. betrayal was right there in a, a time where it's supposed to, it's really a holy time, a time of covenant. love, devotion, covenant, covenant mm-hmm. agreement, affection, devotion. And right there in the midst of that, Mm-hmm. It says in uh, Psalm forty-one nine, my even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, mm-hmm. who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And of course, the psalmist there is writing. Uh, David is writing, uh, and, and it's a prophecy concerning what uh, Judas would do. Right, and many of us, you know, are in jeopardy of doing the same things. Especially, and you know, we're not here to judge people by their behavior, because that isn't our job and you know a lot of times we judge people we do hold people in judgment by their behavior but jesus said in john 20 
He says, forgive. Whoever sins, you forgive, they're forgiven them. Whoever sins, you retain, they're retained. Who was given this power to forgive? His disciples, his followers, were given the opportunity to release from judgment the people Satan held in judgment if they were willing to forgive them because we were acting on behalf of the Most High when we say, I forgive you. Now, we, we let the priests in the Catholic Church system forgive sins, but I, but Jesus said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you be healed. Um, so when we confess our faults and our sins one to another to be healed, we're actually coming into a place of agreeing with God, humbling ourselves, and, and putting down the spirit of silence, secrets, shame, uh, and pride. And, and, and crashing those things to the ground and saying, you know what? I am the man. I need forgiveness. This is what G- David had to do to humble himself when he committed his sexual perversion sin with Bathsheba. He had to admit to Nathan, I am the man. Yes, I am. And Nathan was very wise to get him to that place where David could not deny it because David was tempted to deny it, hide it. You know, he's the king. He can do what he wants, justify it, whatever. And yet God wanted this man, David, to repent, and he wants us to repent. He wants. So don't be holding on to your sin. Your sin is not you. What you do, you have believed, identifies you. I am. I lie, so therefore I'm a liar. You're not made to be a liar. You're made to be holy. But the only way you can stop and get rid of lying is to submit to God and ask God to deliver you from the stronghold, from the grip of the evil one who's made you proud or made you um, deceived or made you blind to what's really going on. Um, because in this in this last supper we see the huge battle of of human of the spirits and the humans who are caught up in this battle yeah it it's interesting that this whole idea as we started out today with the idea of the treachery uh among god's people uh and that's been going on all through history if you read well, the Old the, Testament, that's because the, the Satan is the treacherous tre- one. Treachery. He's the author and, and, and of even, treachery. And, and Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in Second Timothy uh, 4.10, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was spoken of in another place as a, a loyal follower of Jesus, a mm-hmm. co-worker with mm-hmm. Paul, mm-hmm. but he, he bailed. He took off. He well, betrayed. And, and the thing is, too, is it's something I think we have to recognize that in this day, some of those that we think are the most loyal or may, godly. May, and most godly are going to defect and, and true colors are going to come out. So and don't it's be like, shocked. wow. And don't so, be shocked. Don't Please. be shocked. You know, go back to the word of God and measure your judgments based on the word of God. And also in second Timothy wrapping this thing up, we have in a little nutshell, three verses that explain everything. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 25, four, five, and six. And the servant of the Lord, that would be what we're talking about. The servants of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition to themselves or correct those who are believing lies in humility. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, that means to change their mind so that they may know the truth, not think, feel, and try to figure it out, but that they will know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. The devil is laying snares for everybody, he laid a snare for Judas. He's laid a snare for uh, Demas, having take, been taken captive by him to do his will. So people are ensnared. Our job is to to set the captives free. And so, Father, we thank you that our job is not to judge people, not to um, heap coals of, of judgment upon them. Judge not, lest you be judged. Our job is to forgive them. And that doesn't mean we just absolve them and, and, and condone what they're doing. This means we turn the crimes that they have committed against themselves, against you, against us, against each other, over to the high court of heaven. Forgiveness means you get a new judge, that God is now the judge. He's going to judge this person and he knows their heart. He knows how they were set up. He knows what happened when they were little. He knows how he, how the enemy, you know, worked all these things to bring him to this snare, to this grip, to this impossible situation. So, Father, today we pray that these people are caught in these horrible snares of, of mental, emotional, behavioral sins 
things locked down, locked in, that the great awakening of God will shake the very foundations of the lies and the citadels that they're locked in, just like you shook the foundations of the prison where Paul and Silas were locked up that night. You shake these foundations of death and destruction that have held them hostage, these spirits of perversion and and uh, fear and uh, that have promoted... Uh, fear and uh, compliance and silence among the masses, and that you will shake us free of these spirits of fear and intimidation and silence, and we will speak up, rise up, sing praises to our God. If you can't do anything else with your life today, I know that you can do one thing, and that is to praise the Lord. Sing praises, praise him, thank him in everything, give thanks, rejoice in everything, in every situation, give thanks, and let's see what God will do. Because when Paul and Silas could do nothing more, they could do nothing, nothing, nothing more. And this isn't what we talked about today, but we know the story. They sang praises to God in the jail that night, and God sent the earthquake, and God shook and opened the, opened the chains, released them from the chains, and set them free and saved people in the, in the process. So, Father, you, you, we haven't seen yet your move. We've seen all of Satan's moves and how panicky he is. So free up your people who have been locked up, swallowed up um, by these spirits that they don't even realize, Father, and bring freedom and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Check us out at liferecovery.com or truelightchurchmn.org. Thank you for joining us today. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.